And I'm McKenna. And together we're the Daily Profcast. We're two long-distance besties who share a love of Harry Potter. We hope you enjoy the episode. Back to the Daily Profcast, everyone. Today is a very spooky and ghastly special Halloween episode of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. We've been talking about this since we sat down and planned out all of our episodes, our dreams of episodes we wanted to do. Yep. We're, we were talking about this in, in like April doing yeah. this episode for Halloween. Yeah. Really and it actually, it just, I feel like it timed perfectly that we could release it the week of Halloween. And we're just really excited for you guys to hear it. And we are going to be talking all about, drum roll please, the ghosts, parentheses, and other spirits of Hogwarts. Yay! Yay! A very appropriately spooky episode. So spooky and so good. I feel like there's two things that Hogwarts and the Wizarding World does exceptionally well. Number one, Christmas. And number two, Halloween. Halloween. So good with the floating pumpkins in the Great Hall and all Uh, the pumpkin paraphernalia. Today we're going to be talking all about ghosts, all about spirits, and how they all convene at Hogwarts. I have some fun facts up in here. Give me your fun facts. I always look forward to your fun facts. I have three pages of notes for this episode. I'm so excited about it. I have it all broken down by bullet point. My first section of notes is ghostly origins. Excellent. (laughs) So to kind of get back in it, where ghosts come from, where the lore of ghosts come from, the earliest account of ghosts is in the Bible in 1 Samuel. And Saul, the king of Israel, visits a medium and asks them to conjure up the spirit of the dead prophet Samuel. When this prophet spirit appears, he's an old man covered in a mantle, which inspires the image of a white flapping ghost that is mainstream today. But of course, those are not the kind of ghosts we see at Hogwarts. <laughs> the word ghost has been used since the 16th century. It comes from an old English word, ghast. The common myth is that ghosts haunt a specific place. But the Hogwarts ghosts push back against that theory. We learn pretty early on in the series that Hogwarts is the most heavily haunted dwelling place in all of Britain, which is stiff competition because Britain has, on the whole, the most ghost sightings um, than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. There's three types of spirits in the magical world. Ghosts, which is mostly what we're going to cover today. A spirit that is the soul of a person who has died already. A banshee, my personal favorite, a female spirit who heralds the death of another family member, usually by freaking or keening. I love that energy. And a poltergeist, which is a ghost that is associated with haunting a specific building, is not necessarily the spirit of a departed person. The author went back and actually wrote a couple of pieces on ghosts on the Wizarding World website. Did you read any of those in preparation for this episode? Yeah. What did you learn from this? So just some general lore on ghosts specifically pertaining to the wizarding world. In the world of Harry Potter, muggles cannot return to this earth as ghosts. Muggles pass on automatically. Ghosts are only people who were witches or wizards. That's something that's specific to the Harry Potter lore. If you see a ghost in Harry Potter, they were a witch or wizard. it, It would never have been a muggle. You can also choose whether or not 
to pass on or to remain in this sort of realm as a ghost. Those who uh, remain usually have unfinished business or residual fear or guilt or regrets or attachment to something material in this world. And their knowledge and outlook on life at the time of their death is their perpetual level of knowledge and outlook on life in the afterlife when they're a ghost. A good example of that is Myrtle in the bathroom. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that is a good example. Something interesting I read is the fact that Tom Riddle, Voldemort, could never have become a ghost because his soul was so mutilated after being torn apart to create horcruxes, that would not have been an option for him. He apparently remains in like an eternal limbo. According to the Hogwarts, the Harry Potter ghost lore, that will happen to a person when they commit murder because murder will tear the soul apart unless they have remorse for it afterwards. An example of that would be who McKenna's going to talk about the Slytherin house ghost, the Bloody Baron who did commit a murder, but was remorseful afterwards and therefore was able to become a ghost after. McKenna, do you have any more general information? I have a couple more things, but I don't want to steal your thunder for your fun facts. (laughs) No, I love sharing my fun facts with you. I did write down ghosts cannot enjoy any physical pleasures. So Except kind of food. That's why they eat rotting food. Because it's rancid, the taste is stronger, so they can sort of taste it. Hence the death day party and chamber of secrets and all the rotting food on the table. A ghost can pass through solid objects. An example of this that we're probably going to talk about later is Professor Bin's passing through the chalkboard as a way to get into class. When they go through a human, it causes a freezing sensation. When they pass through fire, the flames turn blue. But that was interesting. Yep. Yeah. Good work. Good sleuthing. Good sleuthing. <laughs> couple other general ghost facts. A Lumos charm or a scourge charm is said to be able to repel them. Ghosts, like McKenna said, often haunt the location of their death, but not-, not always. Wizards are more susceptible to paranormal activity where the Hogwarts students can like see the Hogwarts ghosts playing in front of their face. Muggles just get a creepy sensation. Muggles are less sensitive to paranormal activity. A muggle in the wizarding world would not be able to see a ghost playing in front of their face like a wizard. Going on to talking about the Hogwarts house ghosts. McKenna, take it away. Hogwarts is home to, like I was saying, so many ghosts, but there are some prominent ghosts and the four most prominent ghosts would probably be the Hogwarts house ghosts. So every house has a- Keep that in. Hogwarts (laughs) house has a ghost. Ghosts. Yes, it's Uh, like their patron ghost. Do you want to start with the Gryffindor ghost? Sure. One thing that should be noted is each of the house ghosts belonged to that house when they Mm -hmm. attended Hogwarts. For for the most part, they seem to have a pretty like congenial relationship with the students. Especially in their own house. Especially in their own house. Exactly. So let's kick it off with good old Sir Nicholas de Minton, also known as Nearly Headless Nick, but he prefers to be called Sir Nicholas. So Sir Nicholas was a Gryffindor. He was born in the 1400s and a nobleman. After Hogwarts, he reintegrated into Muggle life and became a part of the court of Henry VII. How he died was via a botched execution. So here's the story behind Sir Nicholas's death. It's really gruesome and also weirdly 
funny. So there was a lady in waiting in Henry VII's court who had crooked teeth. And Sir Nicholas thought, oh, let me help you out. I'm going to fix those crooked teeth and make them straight. So he takes out his wand, tries to fix her crooked teeth, ends up giving her tusks. The lady's name is Lady Grieve, by the way. He's apprehended by like the court, whoever apprehends people, the guards. <laughs> He's sentenced to death. And on Halloween night, actually, 1492, he was beheaded. But the gag is... <laughs> The axe was blunt and they couldn't find the sharpening block. The beheading was botched, hence why he's nearly headless. He was hit in the neck. This is disgusting. 45 times with a blunt axe before he actually died, which is why he is nearly headless. When he passed on, there was about a half an inch of skin and sinew still holding his head to the rest of his body. That's how Sir Nicholas de Minton died. Pretty gruesome. In his appearance in death is he wears a plumed hat and a high ruff to keep his head on the rest of his neck and then tights. Look like a typical sort of Tudor era gentleman of the court. He's described as a dashing ghoul. So perhaps he was attractive in life and continued to be attractive in death. But maybe not. Dream in life, poor guy, is to join the headless hunt. But alas, he is not considered to be fully headless, only nearly headless. He is not permitted to join the headless hunt. That is something that gives him great misery in his afterlife. I was wondering what his sort of unfinished business was, why he chose to become a ghost. He mentions to Harry in Order of the Phoenix that death was something and passing on was something that scared him. So instead he elected to um, stick around as a ghost. I think out of the four, he is the youngest of the ghosts. Yeah. I'm wondering who was the Gryffindor house ghost before nearly headless Nick? We don't know. That's a really interesting question I never actually thought about. Yeah, because he died the latest out of the four, I believe. Yeah, he definitely did. That's really interesting. So I like never... for him, where did they go? Did they maybe, retire? Can you maybe... retire as a house ghost? <laughs> maybe he was the inaugural ghost of Gryffindor. Maybe Gryffindor just didn't have a ghost before him. Um, according to a Pottermore article published by the author, he was a bit of a snob when he was alive and less accomplished than he believed himself to be. A little bit arrogant. That's a little bit of a Gryffindor trait sometimes. But it's funny because every time we see him in the books, he's incredibly supportive and helpful to all the Gryffindor students. I, I don't remember ever seeing a time where he was rude to any of the students or high on himself. Yeah, um, he definitely, I think out of all of the house ghosts, is the most friendly towards the students. Outwardly, the most jolly and cheerful and involved he, in student activities the most. As far as we see, that could be because the books are written from Harry's perspective and he probably interacts with Sir Nicholas the most. But he seems really friendly with the students. So I thought that was a little bit paradoxical. It makes sense if he was arrogant that he would believe that he had the magical ability and be so skilled as to fix someone's crooked teeth and then turn them into tusks. That feels like a very Lockhart move, does it not? Totally. It does. Yeah. A couple other fun things about Sir Nicholas. He sometimes reenacts his, the story of his own beheading on Halloween. We see, we're going to see that in Prisoner of Azkaban. And he was one of the very first characters that the author created on day one of coming up with the story, along with Harry, Ron, Hagrid, and Peeves. 
they were the first character she came up with, which I thought was interesting. It is very um, interesting. There is, and then my last fun fact about Sir Nicholas, I should say, most of my information, and I'm sure this is the same for McKenna, comes from a combination of the Harry Potter wiki, the Wizarding World website, which has old Pottermore material, and then the Harry Potter lexicon. So if you're looking for some further reading, consult those sources. Something interesting I found on the lexicon was the author actually wrote out the ballad of Nearly Headless Nick. There's this bard-like poem song for Nearly Headless Nick, which describes the day of his beheading. It was supposed to be a big thing at the death day party in Chamber of Secrets, but on the advice of her editors, she cut it. But it is the entirety of the ballad is on the lexicon if you are interested in going to read that. Then my final question about Sir Nicholas, my, my final query to pose is Sir Nicholas has his nearly beheaded head and the bloody baron has the blood stains on him do all ghosts keep their bodily harm in death the bodily harm that may have come to them when they died because we don't really seem see that to with be the fat friar or the great lady yeah it doesn't seem to be yeah, that so can, way is that another choice you make that's so interesting yeah I, i'm not sure because we don't really see that especially with the great lady i'm thinking of who died a violent death yeah but. yeah very interesting. Or, or the, we don't actually know the, the nature of the Fat Friar's death, but but yeah. Yeah, that's nearly Headless Nick for you. Who's next? So I think I'd like to do the Bloody Baron and the Grey Lady as a pair because their stories are connected. The Bloody Baron attended Hogwarts at the time of the four founders. He was there from the beginning, which is really interesting to think about people that have seen an entire history of Hogwarts, right? He was madly in love with one of the founders, Rowena Ravenclaw's daughter, Helena. And Helena obviously also attended Hogwarts at the time of the four founders. And her own mother obviously was one of the people teaching her magical education, which is quite interesting. Helena was a little bit temperamental in her youth. And the Baron was really quite attracted to her and had fallen in love with her. She repeatedly rejected his advances, but he always carried a flame for her, so to speak. Helena was jealous of her mother's wisdom and intelligence and her prominence in wizarding society. So she stole her mother's diadem. Correct me if I'm wrong. She was under the impression, Helena was under the impression that her mother's wisdom and sort of talent was derived from the diadem, right? That's why she took it. was enchanted to enhance the right. wisdom of the wearer. But Rowena Ravenclaw, oh, okay. yeah, so that, that is true. And that is why she took it. But Rowena Ravenclaw was brilliant in her own right. The diadem would have just maybe boosted that, I believe. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that the diadems, it was enchanted to enhance the wisdom of the wearer. And it did have, mm. you know, significance in that way. So Alana steals her mother's diadem and then flees to Albania of all places. What is up with Harry Potter and Albania? I know, it's so strange. So No offense, Albania, like, yeah. you're cool, but like, wh- why? <laughs> it's just like a very random place, I suppose, to pick, but that's fine. Yeah. I love an international wizarding scandal. Yeah. Rowena Ravenclaw's on her deathbed, and she asks the Baron, because she knows how much he cares for Helena, to travel to Albania, find her, and bring her and the diadem home. I guess... 
my thought is she just wanted to see her daughter one last time and make amends before she died, perhaps. The Baron tracks down Helena in Albania and encounters her in the forests. And Helena takes the diadem, knowing that the Baron is tracking her and trying to chase after her and find her, stashes it in the hollowed out trunk of a tree, and then encounters the Baron. The Baron wants her to come back with him. She says no. In a fit of passion and rage, he murders her. He stabs her. Instantaneously feels remorseful and awful, and then kills himself. Turns the blade on himself and kills himself. The Baron is the house ghost of Slytherin. He was a Slytherin in his time at Hogwarts, of course, as we already spoke about. He is apparently friendly with the Slytherins, but otherwise standoffish to other students. He's described as having a gaunt face, blank eyes, and robes that are stained with silver blood. Would be interested to know if that is his blood or Helena's blood or a mix of the both, but we don't obviously get that information in very strong detail. He wears chains that clank loudly as penance for the crime that he committed. Mm. Just so tragic. Yeah, and you become a ghost. Why did they elect to stay around? What was their unfinished business? Well, I think he felt remorseful and maybe he felt like he deserved to live a life of trying to pay penance for what he had done. That makes sense. Can you imagine being the great lady and like your murderers just like walking around the halls with you? It's it's true. Like that's a little messy. It's very that's, messy. That's like the real, that's the like the real ghost wives of Hogwarts. Like that's it's, me- it's like a novella almost. It's such a, it's yeah. just a very crazy story. So what's interesting here, of course, about the gray lady is Tom Riddle would later use flattery and manipulation to coax the gray lady into revealing the location of the diadem. Then Tom Riddle will travel to Albania and turn that diadem into a horcrux. Harry, of course, also goes to have a conversation to find the location of the diadem when he is in the Deathly Hallows and searching for the Horcruxes to destroy. It says that the Grey Lady, again, is friendly with her own house, but both the Baron and the Grey Lady are sad and are not the most cheerful. They, I, they definitely don't have the personality of Sir Nicholas. In the first book, we see the Grey Lady enters the Great Hall at the feast, and she flies over the Slytherin table, which that's a power move to me. It's, it's said that they just steer clear of each other and don't really interact but still that has to be incredibly awkward and weird i think she chose to remain a ghost because of what she did to her mother i think again she feels an extreme amount of guilt for that yeah there's a scene in the extended version of chamber of secrets and harry is opening the diary to write in it and you see there's a ghost sitting next to him reading a book in the gryffindor common room that's the gray lady and there's also I forgot about that scene. I know. There's also a part in a future book where the Grey Lady attends McGonagall's Transfiguration class, which I think is quite funny. Oh, that is funny. Then of course we see her in Deathly Hallows. I think they have the most interesting ghostly backstories of all of the Hogwarts ghosts or spirits. Of course, it's, it's love, so crazy. murder, intrigue. Why don't we finish it off with the Fat Friar? The Hufflepuff ghost is the Fat Friar. We don't know his real name. He's described as being a stout gentleman, and he's very jolly and friendly. He's in clergy attire. So think of a medieval or renaissance 
not medieval or renaissance like a like a medieval 900 so before the the dark ages he's dressed like a friar uh, he's dressed like a friar he's got like a big brown robe thing and a little rope around the middle and he's dressed like a friar he's part of the clergy he was born sometime in the 900s perhaps around to line up with the founding of hogwarts perhaps around it's estimated that he was born in or around 1980 or 1982 and he died sometime before the 1200s he went to hogwarts he was in hufflepuff house he was actually taught by the founders specifically by roman by helga hufflepuff which again would make Sir Nicholas the youngest house ghost, which is just funny. After Hogwarts, he decided to join the clergy, which is a weird transition. We don't think of that as a, yeah, we don't think of that as like a path that wizards go down going to join the clergy. I love it though. I love that for him. You can be a wizard and love Jesus. Love that. He was, it's based on his sort of personality type being a Hufflepuff it's estimated or, or projected that he was probably an Augustinian monk because Augustinian monks, monks specifically seek to build community founded on love and respect for all. That sounds very Hufflepuffy. I read that he's probably part of a mendicant order. So oh, lived, I did not read that. Yeah. So I, I read that he was part of a mendicant order, could have been Augustinian of that same vein, but living a life of poverty, begging in the name of charity, that sort of thing. Yes. Mendicant means you yes. just, you give up your worldly possessions and your comforts for religious life and how he died was he was executed after we don't know how we just know that he was executed we don't know the nature of the execution but the senior churchman in his order found it suspicious that he could cure pox by pointing a quote stick at peasants we know that to be a wand he could cure the pox. So he was clearly skilled in healing magic. Mm -hmm. He could also pull rabbits from the communion cup, which if you're a friar and you're going to do a trick, like that is not the one to do. (laughs) Immediately, everybody would be like, that's us. Like his sort of unfinished business or lingering resentment. He resents he was never made a cardinal. He remained a friar and was never made cardinal. He is described as being stout. The sort of gluttonous friar is a little bit of a a literary trope, especially it's seen to be a nod to Friar Tuck and Robin Hood. And he's the only Hogwarts ghost whose specifics of his death are not discussed in the books. I wish we got a little more fat friar content, but that's about all we got, folks. I felt like overall there was the least about him available that was truly canon to read. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the story of the Bloody Baron and the Grey Lady is something we get in the books. That was like extra Pottermore material, right? I believe actually in the books when Harry goes to speak to Raina Ravenclaw, we don't get it in the movies. I believe she does divulge a little bit more of her story, but I'm not so sure that she talks specifically about the Bloody Baron. But I definitely believe she tells him that she took the diadem and ran away and yeah. the issue she had with her mother, because I think she carries a lot of guilt, obviously, that was then turned into a horcrux. My question is, all those details about the Bloody Baron and the Grey Lady were like a Pottermore extra. Why didn't we get any extra stuff on the Fat Friar? Even if it wasn't in the books, he still could have written more detail on poor Hufflepuffs. Like Hufflepuffs are so know? underappreciated. So we love you, Hufflepuffs. We yeah, see you. Puffs. We love you. We have a couple other extra ghosts to discuss. McKenna, do you want to pick another ghost or spirit to discuss? 
I have three more. I have Professor Bins. Yes. Moting Myrtle. Yes. And then I have Peeves, who's not a ghost, but we can get to that. Do you have any others? I actually, I have a fourth extra one who's actually not a part of the books, but was going to be a part of the books and later edited out. Okay. So do you want to finish with that one? Maybe I can start with Moaning Myrtle. We just finished Chamber of Secrets. So we've talked a lot about Moaning Myrtle already, but she is one of my favorite characters, I think, in the series because she's so interesting and she's so annoying, yet she actually helps so much throughout the course of the series. And she plays just more than one book. Yes, exactly. She plays such an interesting role continuously. She's very interesting characters. Myrtle Elizabeth Warren. That is her name. Elizabeth Warren. Myrtle Elizabeth Warren. It just feels timely to our political climate, but like what a strange coincidence. Okay, but her name is Myrtle Elizabeth Warren. And she's, as we know, a ghost who haunts the girls' bathroom on the first floor of Hogwarts. Myrtle is known to wail, cry, complain, moan, especially at the mention of her own death. This is going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the episode where ghosts are perpetually stuck in the mind's state that they were when they died. At the time of her death, what kind of what was going on in Myrtle's life is she was being relentlessly teased by Olive Hornby, a classmate who tortured her about her classes. Myrtle was a muggle-born witch. That's important, especially as we talk about her death. And she was in the bathroom crying and hiding out because she was being teased by Olive. That is when Tom Riddle went into the bathroom because that's where the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets is. The Chamber of Secrets was opened. The basilisk emerged, killed Myrtle, and it was Myrtle's death death that Tom used to create his first Horcrux, the diary. Yes. I love this fact. After her death, Myrtle followed Olive around everywhere she went, haunting her until Olive complained to the ministry and Myrtle was ordered back to Hogwarts. I love that tidbit. I was a Ravenclaw. And the author says she was inspired by the girl at parties who was always crying in the bathroom. That is who inspired the character of Moaning Myrtle. And Myrtle's original. Oh, I'm sorry. I love on that, trailing off of that, the other thing she wrote about that on the article that I'm sure you saw is the reason she put her in there was she wanted to watch Harry and Ron. She's like, men don't usually have to deal with the crying girl in the bathroom. So I wanted to watch Harry and Ron have to deal with the crying girl in the bathroom. I love that. Myrtle's original name was supposed to be Wailing Wanda. Moaning Myrtle is better. I love that her constant wailing causes frequent plumbing problems in the bathroom that she occupies. We obviously see her outside of Chamber of Secrets. We see her again in The Goblet of Fire. And it's so funny because she's very flirty with the boys, especially as they get to that age. second... She was also my second favorite character, third favorite character in The Cursed Child. (laughs) And she's in Half-Blood Prince as well. So she comes back, you know, multiple times in the series. So she's, I think, just like a fun character. She gives a lot to the series, but she also brings this very interesting lightness to the series. I don't know. I very much like Moaning Myrtle. Yeah, me too. Yeah, she's a good addition. McKenna, I know you just talked about Moaning Myrtle, but I also know that you love Professor Bins. I so do why don't love. you just continue and keep talking about Professor Bins and then we can tag team with the information about Peeves. Professor Bins got gypped. Why could they have not put him in the movies? I love Professor Bins and he slept on as a character. Cuthbert Bins was a professor at Hogwarts. He teaches 
history of magic. He one day went into the staff room, took a nap in his chair, died in his sleep, and the next day he got up to teach class and left his body behind, making him the only professor at Hogwarts who was a ghost. That throws a wrench into the whole, you get a choice whether or not you get to stay a ghost. Like he seems to just have woken up and it like happened to him. I think he was just attached to Hogwarts. I think Hogwarts was his home and he loved teaching. Well, I don't know if he loves teaching, but I think just teaching is just who he is. He's your high school, like that one old high school teacher who just will never retire, you know? Yeah. They're just going to keep going forever and ever and they're tenured. So I I just think of Professor Binns that way. There was nothing particularly waiting for him in the afterlife, but he just had to get up and teach class that day. I love that it's like he didn't even know he was a ghost until he walked into class and everybody was like, what the? And it's sort of said in the lore that they don't even know if he does really know he's a ghost. Because he's just so unaware of himself. He enters the class by walking through the chalkboard and Harry and Ron comment that is the most exciting thing about his class. It's otherwise incredibly boring. In the books, it is Professor Binns, not Professor McGonagall, who explains the legend of the Chamber of Secrets to the students once they prod him. He is, we said, is never seen in the movie version of the series, which is wrong and disappointing. One of my favorite... I guess tropes or facts about Bins is that he's incredibly notorious for messing up the students' names and being yes. super absent-minded. Yes, it's, it's really funny. I just imagine on the day of the Battle of Hogwarts, Professor Bins is just so accustomed to getting up and teaching class and he just goes to go teach class and the classroom's in rubble and he's like, what is this? <laughs> What's going on? And he just on? goes on with the lecture. Uh, he's just... What a wonderful man, Professor Binns. What a good name, Cuthbert Binns. It is good. It is good. It's so good. That's really all I have on Professor Binns. He's, to the outside, nothing special, but to me, he matters. This brings us to our favorite poltergeist, Peevesy. Peeves. So Peeves is not a ghost. It should be noted that it is, we are very adamant, Peeves is not a ghost. Peeves was not a person who was killed. Peeves, like, I read one article that said, like, so poltergeists, the, like, general lore behind a poltergeist is that they're an invisible entity that causes disturbances, and they tend to dwell where adolescents are. So Hogwarts was bound to have at least one, and the word that was written on the Wizarding World website, which is, the this is the residual Pottermore article, was he generated. He just came into being. (laughs) So I read, I think it was the lexicon I read it on, but Peeves has lived at Hogwarts since its founding and is suspected to have, quote unquote, come with the building. Peeves came with the building. Peeves came with the building, yep. So I I read the same thing you did, that it's guessed that he is a generation and a tangible manifestation of the student's mischief. Yes. I love that he has been a pet peeve to every caretaker and several attempts have been made to remove peeves from the building. Can I actually specifically read the history of one so such attempt to remove peeves? Yes. Okay, so this is directly from the Wizarding World website, the article on peeves, and it reads, 
Several concerted efforts to remove Peeves from the castle have resulted in failure. The last and most disastrous was made in 1876 by caretaker Rancorous Carp, who, which is the name, incredible, who devised an elaborate trap baited with an assortment of weapons he believed would be irresistible to Peeves. That's got to be against some code to just put a bunch of weapons out in the middle of the school. And a vast enchantment, enchanted bell jar reinforced by various containment charms, which he intended to drop over the poltergeist once he was in place. Not only did Peeves break easily through the giant bell jar, showering an entire corridor with broken glass, he also escaped the trap armed with several cutlasses, crossbows, a blunderbuss, and a miniature cannon. The castle was evacuated while Peeves amused himself by firing randomly out of the window and threatening all and sundry with death. A three-day standoff was ended when the headmistress of the day, Euphraxia Mole, agreed to sign a contract allowing Peeves additional privileges, such as a once weekly swim in the boys' toilets on the ground floor, first refusal on stale bread from the kitchen for throwing purposes, and a new hat to be custom made by Madame Bonavie of Paris. Rancorous Carp took early retirement for health reasons, and no subsequent attempt has ever been made to rid the castle of its most ill-disciplined inhabitant. Incredible. I love that. I love that. I, I also love that Peeves, he has an affinity for s- certain students, such as Fred and George Weasley, who obviously were quite mischievous and loved to play pranks. Peeves is incredibly afraid of the Bloody Baron, and the Bloody Baron is one of the only people who can really control Peeves. Yeah, and we never find out why. No, we do never find out why. It's very interesting. Yeah. He's described as being a little man with orange eyes dressed in a loud, in loud outlandish clothes, including a bell covered hat and an orange bow tie. And it's said that he has black hair. So, so imagine like a short medieval or Renaissance court jester. That's what Peeves looks like, but probably a little creepier. We don't see Peeves in the movie ever. There was a scene with Peeves that was filmed for Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, but it was left on the cutting room floor and has never been seen or released in any form. That is so sad. <laughs> I love Peeves. I think he he's like a Fred and a George to me. He's just very lighthearted and he brings some comedy to the series, which I always appreciate. Yeah. a couple. I have a couple other things on Peeves. He is according to the Lord, the most notorious and troublesome poltergeist in British history. And the thing that makes him different from the other ghosts is he's not like pearly and translucent like they are. He actually has a physical form, but can become invisible at will. And his just, his one goal is just like to cause mayhem and make messes. Like you said, he's oddly lovable and comedic, but of course, Filch hates him. And yeah, like you said, his looks reflect his nature. He's like the mischief of the castle incarnate, which is fun. So that's Peeves. And who is your mystery ghost that you wish to talk about? So yeah, so there was another ghost that the author came up with and then later took out but regrets it. And this ghost's name is Edmund Grubb, two Bs. She regrets not using him in the books. He expired in the doorway of a dining hall. And if, if he had been around in the books, would have sometimes stopped people from getting into the great hall out of spite for not being able to get to the food. <laughs> he was going to look like a fat Victorian ghost and he died from eating poison berries. I love that. So that's Edmund Grubb. Yeah. 
I think that's it on ghosts. Do you have anything else to add? Yeah, it prompted some good discussion. It did. I hope everybody listening has a happy Halloween, but also a safe one. Please remember, we're still in a pandemic. Um, So choose smart decisions for your Halloween parties and festivities. Retweet. Our episodes cut off with us saying we were going to get together last week and that we didn't really dive much else into it. But somebody messaged us and said that, like, oh, I wanted to hear more about your reunion. So Erin and her most lovely boyfriend, Austin, are flying out to the East Coast to come visit me in New Jersey in two weeks. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And we're... We're So many fall and Harry Potter related activities. We are. We're going to do so many just... It's just going to be so nice. Obviously, this has just been a really tough year collectively. And just to be able to get together... We normally try and get together once a year. And so just to be able to honor that and still do it this year is really, I don't know, very special and near and dear to me. I know, I think to you as well. Same. And it's needed. It is needed. And we are taking a lot of precautions to do it safely. California is no longer on the restricted travel list for New Jersey. They've gotten a lot better with COVID and New Jersey has some spikes currently, but not where I am has not been spiking. To be honest, I don't really leave my house much anyway. So we're going to be socially distancing and wearing masks when we go out, as we hope everybody is doing who listens to our podcast. And Aaron's flying safely and is going to be getting COVID tested. So we're doing everything safely and we're really excited to get back together. Super excited. And we're excited to do fun things for the Daily Profcast while we're together in person. Yeah, you'll be hearing our voice recorded together, not over Zoom for the first time. We're going to do some live streams. We're going to probably plan one out and send that message. We'll do a big YouTube live stream like we did before, but then we're also going to be doing like TikTok live streams, maybe some on Instagram live, like just together, just doing so many together activities. If you have a fun activity that we can do safely at home that pertains to Harry Potter or fall or anything that you want to see us do, send us a message. Yeah, definitely. And while Aaron and Austin are here, they're here for two weeks, that like middle weekend, we're going to Vermont, which we're really excited about. So we're just going to like- we're staying in an Airbnb, just us. We're not like going around and going out and stuff. We're just going to hunker down in a cabin. Yeah, we're bringing- coolers of food and we're just gonna we got a cabin with a hot tub and a big backyard on the woods and yeah so we're gonna be inside and being safe and hopefully binging harry potter movies and listening to records and eating good food oh i can't wait drinking hot cocoa it's just gonna be like a really lovely Ah. time I, I just had t-shirts made for the group for our Vermont trip. So we're just really kind of literally like, like how you did for your like childhood trip to Disneyland with your entire family. McKenna literally made us trip t-shirts because <laughs> that's the kind of friend McKenna is. Anyway, so we look out for the Daily Profcast reunion coming to you live in November, coming to a TikTok near you in November. And we hope everybody has a fun and safe Halloween. Tag us. If you do any Harry Potter Halloween related fun things that are safe, tag us, let us know. We'd love to see them. We'd love to repost them on our stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. Yep. Just stay safe out there. 
if you're able to get a flu vaccine, keep socially distancing, keep wearing masks. This has been Aaron and McKenna wishing you a happy Halloween. Hey, thanks for listening to our latest episode. As always, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're not a listener on Apple Podcasts, it would still help us out a lot if you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything you heard in this episode today, please drop us a line at our Anchor profile. You can leave us a nifty little voice message there, or you can head to our Instagram at the Daily Profcast to DM us or leave us an email. Thank you.